live from Studio 6B on a Monday night. Brand new week, December 7th. Welcome on in, live from Studio 6B. Lots to do. Paul Nolan's here with the news. Mr. Nolan, how was your weekend? How are you? I'm good. Weekend was good. I didn't watch any politics. Feel terrific. <laughs> that's what you have to That's kind of what you have to do, right? I just, I got to get away from it on the weekend, which is hard for uh, our next person on the show, which is Rick Delgado. Mr. Delgado, how are you? <laughs> I spent the weekend in the bunker. I mean, he's, he's, oh. sending, me, he's sending me texts. He's sending me things. Look at this. Santa doesn't like it. And this doesn't <laughs> like it. And that doesn't like this. It's, oh, God. It's got to turn it off. So, yeah, uh, how, I, I can't. How was the rest of your weekend? What weekend? Okay. Rick Emirati's <laughs> here with sports. What's coming up in sports tonight, pal? Hey, Big D. Well, I watched some of the craziest football calls yesterday. So we got Sunday football scores. We got college football as well as the uh, rodeo updates from the weekend. All right. Very good. Lots to do. Um, Gio, Fran holding it down. Fran, do, we don't have a – I can see we don't have a guest yet. Uh, Mark Serrano is going to try to join us on this uh, Monday night to talk about what's going on with all the lawsuits across the country. He, of course, is the president of Proactive Communications. And uh, I guess we got to start by obviously remembering today is Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. 79 uh, years ago, obviously, American soil was attacked. And we remember that and those people who died. And obviously, we also remember the greatest generation who stepped up um, after that day to defend freedom, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. yeah. Well, think about it. Uh, what was it? Five uh, percent of Americans wanted to go to war and get in, involved in, uh, before uh, Pearl Harbor. And then it was 95 percent after it. Uh, that was a it was a game changer. The entire nation rallied around it. Yeah. So we remember that today as well. Um, so lots to talk about. Uh, and I guess we'll start with some of maybe the news that's happened here in the couple hours before we came on the air. Uh, which is the errors. The first thing is breaking news here tonight is the Arizona Supreme Court has agreed to hear Republican election challenge over mail-in ballots. This is uh, all over the place, but I'm reading from Red State. It says, some good news out of Arizona tonight. A lower court had dismissed an election challenge suit filed by the Republican Party chair for the state, Kelly Ward, regarding mail-in ballots in Maricopa County on Friday, but Ward was not giving up. Ward told KTAR News 92.3 FM, the Mike Broomhead show on Friday, that she would, quote, go to the end to prove that President Trump won this election by a landslide in Arizona. Um, now the news is breaking that the Arizona Supreme Court has now agreed to hear the case after a sample of the ballots and envelopes that Ward has been able to inspect have shown irregularities. Uh, from Western Journal on Thursday, Ward told KFYI AM radio that Warner granted the campaign access for check for red flag issues among the 1.9 million ballots that came in absentee, as well as the duplicate ballots filled out by election officials in Maricopa County when the original ballots could not be read by the voting machine. Uh, Joe Biden was given the state because of the alleged results in Maricopa County. But the difference was 10,457 votes in the entire state between him and President Donald Trump. So if Ward's challenge can implicate more than that, it could affect the election and the court's decision. The Supreme Court in Arizona has seven members who were picked by two Republican governors from a bipartisan list of nominees. So they... Um, may not be liberal activists, which is hard to find on the courts these days. Uh, both sides were required to have briefs in by today, and according to KTAR, there wouldn't be any oral, oral arguments on the matter. 
If there are enough states put into question that are not able to put forth their electors, that could result in Joe Biden not having the requisite 270, which obviously is, um, we could talk about this all over the country. But please, right now, welcome to Live from Studio 6B, the president of Proactive Communications. Of course, he's a policy political strategist as well. Uh, Mark Serrano to the show. Mr. Serrano, how are you? Hey, Damon, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I'm very good, and it's uh, great to have you on the show. Lots going on. I don't know if you just heard what I read, but obviously some breaking news tonight. Arizona Supreme Court agrees to hear Republican election challenge over mail-in ballots. So I guess, first of all, if you could give me your reaction to hearing that. Yeah, look, there's a lot of evidence that's been uncovered. A lot of investigation is required, and this is yet another stage for us to go into challenging the results in Arizona. Uh, that's encouraging. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, what we're going to see is more and more people are, are demonstrating that evidence in Arizona. We've got a, you know, a close race, uh, between Biden and Trump. In fact, uh, you know, the, uh, the difference there is 10,457 votes. And in the lawsuit with the group I'm working with, uh, they've already demonstrated that there are potentially 300,000 fraudulent ballots, uh, that from our research, investigations uh, into the litigation, that that's, that's how many potential fraudulent ballots there are for a race with only a, a spread of about 10,000 votes. Yeah. We've had Phil Klein on talking about all the work the Amistad Project is doing. So from your point of view, let's kind of give an overview right now. Obviously, this is what's happening in Arizona. In Pennsylvania, I know there's a lot. uh, We've heard a lot of stories. We heard the truck driver. There's also in Pennsylvania what I think is something that the Supreme Court has to take up, which is this case involving... um, uh, representative, the gentleman who just ran and lost, I can't, it's my, his name is slipping my mind right now, but about Act yeah. 77 being completely unconstitutional as it went through none of the state constitution where it's, it has to have two um, go through Congress, has to be voted on by the public. None of that happened. They threw it in an omnibus bill, pushed it through. So there's that as well. But from your point of view, what are we looking at? Let's say, let's go Pennsylvania and Georgia, uh, Wisconsin, Nevada, what are you looking at most of all right now? Well, as you said, Act 77 required a change to their constitution and it didn't happen. It was done statutor- statutorily. Congressman Mike Kelly is a real champion on this and is engaged in that uh, litigation. And Justice Alito from the Supreme Court required the state to respond by tomorrow morning uh, to that claim. So uh, it's, look, Pennsylvania, a lot rests on on what happens there, and Justice Alito has forced uh, a change. Um, In uh, in Georgia, obviously, that video from last week really opened the eyes of a lot of people. Uh, You've got conflicts between the Secretary of State and the governor and and other Republicans in the state. But the truth is, uh, like in any state, we've got to bring forth forth the evidence. If you take a look in Georgia, there's a spread of 200,000 Uh, excuse me, the spread is uh, 12,670 votes. The lawsuit that this group that I'm affiliated with has filed shows potentially 200,000 fraudulent ballots. You know, and so those kind of numbers are very, very compelling. Evidence like we saw from the ballot counting center. Look, if you take a look at it, someone said to me, Damon, you know, how did they get away with this nationwide? They didn't get away with it nationwide. (laughs) It only had to happen in major urban areas of the swing states. Atlanta, Philadelphia, Detroit, Milwaukee, Phoenix, that's where it had to happen. And how did did they get away with it? An infusion of $400 million for Mark Zuckerberg was part of the story. But you've got such a narrow spread in Georgia, Arizona, and um, 
uh, in Wisconsin that what we've detected through research, through investigation, through whistleblowers coming forward is potentially hundreds of thousands of ballots that would change the outcome in those states, including Philadelphia and Michigan, where there's a larger spread, but still enough ballots to overcome that difference. Yeah, we have uh, the four pictures, G, I gave you about the Mark Zuckerberg money. We'll get to that in one second. Let's talk about the Electoral College, because I've been hearing you talk about this. I heard you on with Steve Bannon, and people get locked into these dates. Oh, December 8th is here, and and as far as the... um, safe harbor and of course justice alito i think purposely gave said i need to know this the day before but let's talk about the dates because you you make the argument that um you know these dates are not legally or statutorily designed that they have to be that day the only real day that matters maybe is january 6th the day that this goes to congress and obviously january 20th the day that the president gets sworn in uh so give me a little bit of your theory there that don't get caught up on the 8th and the 14th yeah so, Damon, great question. You know, I, I was uh, s- sitting around some time ago with uh, attorneys and researchers, and I said, you know, these dates from of the 8th and the 14th, the problem is the, the news media, the mainstream news media, they're going to look at those dates and say, okay, we've reached the 8th, the clock's run out, game over. So I asked a very innocent question. I mean, I've been in public policy and strategic communications for 30 years. I've been in presidential campaign work for 30 years. I didn't know where those dates came from. So I challenged the group, nobody knew. And we took a look and we realized, you know what? Our researchers determined those are statutory deadlines from uh, a federal statute passed in 1948, requiring the states to have their, their electors meet in state capitals, select the electors, and then six days later, they vote on the 16th in the Electoral College. Then it goes to Congress on January 6th, all statutory, None of it constitutional, Damon. There is one deadline in the U.S. Constitution, 12 noon, January 20th. That's it. Anything before then is game on. It's open for continued investigations, continued assessment of whether these uh, uh, races were conducted lawfully. And here's the reason why, Damon, that those are artificial dates. It's because the way the statute was structured, it says that those dates apply if the elections were conducted lawfully per state law in the states, and we have a lot of reason to believe they weren't. All right, but let's stick on January 6th. Obviously, it's it's interesting this this year because you have the runoffs on January 5th. You have the new Congress in, uh, seated on the 3rd. You have the runoffs on the 5th, and then you have the 6th. You have Mo Brooks has already come out and said that he uh, you need one congressman and you need one senator to challenge the Electoral College. The Democrats have done it in the past. Of course, they'll have amnesia about it that they never did coming up. But Mo Brooks has said he's willing to stand up. Matt Gates has said he's willing to stand up. I don't know if there's a senator. I, I would find it hard to believe there's not, given everything we've seen. But what's the scenario that, that six comes? Um, obviously, they're going to they're gonna meet in a joint session of Congress. I mean, unless, do you think it's possible they did not meet on January 6th? Well, sure. I think so, because again, these are artificial statutory deadlines. And uh, as Mo Brooks is a a real champion, has made it clear that it takes a single member for each chamber to challenge it. And and I got to tell you something, being in the middle of this, working with a talented group supported by the Thomas More Society, the Amistad Project, being involved with them, and they've been at it since 2019, by the way. Um, And being involved with them, I recognize, you know, January 5th, January 6th seems like an eternity from now. And with the amount of litigation that's in play, 
right now, you, you mentioned the Arizona suit uh, and it going to the state Supreme Court. There are going to be actions like that that take place on a day by day basis. You've got these suits proceeding through the courts. You've got some that will reach the U.S. Supreme Court. You've got uh, state legislatures are having hearings and assessing whether or not these were lawful uh, elections and whether or not there's credible evidence that there was fraud. And on a very large scale, by the way, there's a lot, a lot's going to happen in the next 30 days between now and January 5th, January 6th. So I, I believe that, yes, that's still two weeks before Inauguration Day. That date can move. It's all arbitrary. Well, I, th I think you're right. And I think the Supreme Court, I mean, you know, either either Act 77 is unconstitutional or it's not. Either these states right. are going to listen to these orders or they don't. I mean, for them not to act on that case specifically, at least in my mind, um, would really be something that's hard to swallow because it's such a, I mean, it's so teed up for them. It's the perfect case to hear. Right. Well, if you take a look too, Damon, you, you asked me about the other states. In Wisconsin, the, the, the margin is 20,608 votes. Yeah. Well, Mark, can you, you hold on some... one second while I hit the break? You bet, Damon. Right, let's hit the break. We'll come back with Mark Serrano here in a second, live from Studio 6B. On a Monday, Real America's Voice, glad you're in. Lots to do. from Studio 6B on a Monday night. Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240. Glad you're in. Paul's going to do some news. Rick, uh, Rick Emirati's going to have sports. Rick Delgado's here. Geo Friends holding it down. Uh, Mark Serrano's joined us. from. He's the president of Proactive Communications, and he joined us in the first segment. He's nice enough to hold over and come back. Mark, welcome back. Thanks, David. Um, so let's talk about what we're seeing in some of these in the courts these days. You see today, Sidney Powell gets thrown out in Georgia. He does it from the bench, doesn't even take a day to write an opinion. Uh, you see in Michigan, he's thrown out. And, and when when they're you get you're seeing these like kind of made for TV, made for liberal media comments like, well, the people have spoken and um, and uh, we the, you want us to subvert the millions of votes. And you're seeing all this from these judges. You have the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. You've got five radical leftists on the court who have uh, say, well, it's OK to be in the room if you're 700 feet away. All too bad. Um, this Act 77, the governor runs to the Supreme Court when you had this judge who came out with this ruling and said, hey, we're going to have a hearing on this in my courtroom on Friday. They run to the Supreme Court. And of course, the Supreme Court overrules it. I mean, what do you what do you make of what we're seeing in these courts these days? Well, it's not surprising. Uh, you know, uh, Barack Obama had a lot of time to appoint a lot of judges who sit on these benches, uh, state Supreme Courts, obviously. Uh, determined by uh, by election or by appointment in those states, and and uh, you know they're going to stop try to block these. I mean, look, the establishment is all in uh, on this, and the media wants to sort of move on, uh, state that this was uh, all lawfully done. But the reality is, people uh, they they had suspicions, they had suspected that you know things weren't right. But look, in the days since the election, a lot of evidence has come forward. And so the manipulation with the courts will take place. But in some cases, Damon, that's uh, a real benefit because it can just advance and we can get it closer to the U.S. Supreme Court, where I think we can probably get a fair ruling 
uh, a fair assessment in a lot of these cases. So it's there's a, there's a lot on the table. It's a lot of litigation. The group that I'm working with, the Amistad Project, has got litigation in all these states. Uh, obviously, the Trump campaign is operating separately. They've got terrific litigation in a lot of cases. And each time you see a, a major whistleblower come forward, like uh, Jesse Morgan, the truck driver who who shipped ballots, possibly hundreds of thousands from uh, fr across three state lines from Bethpage, Long Island, near you, uh, over to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, on October 21st, completed ballots. You know, Jesse didn't know whether those that was fraudulent, but he saw something that didn't seem right. A lot more cases like that take place, and that's why we need state legislators to speak up. We need them to hold hearings. We need them to call for further investigation. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of this evidence is in the hands of the states. You know, you have these attorneys, you have the Amistad Project, what you, the great work you guys are doing. You have Sidney Powell, you have Linwood, you have you have hundreds of thousands of people. John, uh, John Solomon and Justin News has people on the ground in all these places. But these courts act like the evidence is all in their hands already. That's not how it works. They got to build these cases. Right. They got to bring these cases. But all these courts seem like they want everybody to come in buttoned up with all the evidence. It's it's somewhat frustrating. Well, Damon, look at it this way. I mean, as you make an excellent point. It takes time to produce this evidence for investigations being conducted. It takes a lot of strength for some of these whistleblowers to come forward. And if you take a look, do you remember an election in your life where ballot counting took place in an arena? Ever. That's never happened before. And why did they do it? They did it for coronavirus. How does that make sense? You put hundreds of people into an arena, right, under coronavirus restrictions? It's because that was going to provide them cover. Based on evidence that we've seen, they used those big, massive, consolidated counting centers so that way fraud could be more easily perpetrated, at least based on what we're seeing right now. That's what the evidence is pointing to. It allows a big cavernous space. Take a look at Atlanta from the video that we witnessed the other day, which was very compelling and caught America's attention. It, it was compelling evidence that America stood and took note of. And what did those folks do? They claimed there was a water main break. Somebody stuffed the toilets and, and got it to overflow so they could clear people out clear Republicans out who weren't going to see suspicious activity or weren't going to see the ballots counted. That is against the law, and we've got to prove it, As the, and the evidence is coming forward to help us do that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Mark Zuckerberg here finally, and I've got some charts. Didn't, gee, you can rotate through them as Mr. Serrano's talking about it. Uh, so here's some, here's some of the money that Zuckerberg gave uh, in these places. So just in Georgia here, Fulton County, $6 million. Gwinnett County, $4.2 uh, you know, the, I saw Phil Klein talk about this early on, weeks before the election, warning about this. Um, yes. Give me your thoughts on this, obviously, how this influenced. I mean, certainly I think you have equal protection uh, situations that his, his money was involved with. Tell me about this. Yeah, and my, my hat's off to Phil Klein and the Amistar Project because they started working on this months and months ago. Look, the way this worked was, Mark Zuckerberg decided to contribute $400 million. Do you know the federal government allocated money to help uh, elections be managed in the states uh, under coronavirus restrictions? Do you know how much they gave? $400 million. Mark Zuckerberg matched them. Where did he put the money? The top 21 recipients of grants from the Center for Technology and Civic Life, where Zuckerberg funneled his money through to this nonprofit run by former Obama operatives 
and they doled it out, they dished it out in the form of, of grants to cities and counties. The largest 21 recipients are all deep blue Democrat cities and counties where Hillary Clinton won by large margins. So, and most of them were in swing states. They were in Pennsylvania and Michigan and, and uh, Wisconsin and elsewhere, these Democrat-run cities, so they could boost turnout where they knew only Democrats would be the ones voting. And they could swing the outcome in that swing state. So millions of dollars that he funneled through this nonprofit CTCL, they started in the spring before they even had the money. Zuckerberg didn't cut a check until September 2nd. They started sending letters to mayors in Racine, Wisconsin, and, and, uh, and Milwaukee and elsewhere, seeding money for grant applications, and then they put restrictions and limits and requirements on the grants. So for instance, in Philadelphia, they gave $10.6 million in Philadelphia, and they required that there would be 800 voting centers, 800 minimum, or they could take the money back. They put drop boxes in all over the city. That, by the way, is a complete a break of the chain of custody. That, and they also funded uh, the uh, election judges in the ballot center. So think about it. Election judges funded by Mark Zuckerberg, who has all the incentive in the world because he wants to keep Section 230 intact. And the American people were thrown out. Republicans were thrown out of the ballot counting centers. Mark Zuckerberg, the billionaire, funded it and was right in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, I got about a minute and a half left. So let's talk about from here. Um, do you feel like this is now all of a all of a big play to eventually this has to fall in the lap of Congress, or do you think we will actually see the Supreme Court? Let's say if they do take up the um, Act seventy seven and say okay, it's unconstitutional. Once that shoe drops, then you could get other shoes to drop. Or do you think this is all a play to eventually it's going to have to be resolved in Congress? Uh, you know, I am encouraged, and I think a lot of people who are working on this every day have grown more hope every day that change could come. And, and change is so essential here because it appears, it appears like this was a scam perpetrated in, in many cities. So I am encouraged to believe, the attorneys tell me that I work with, that we can get before the Supreme Court and it can happen quickly. You know, there we've got plenty of time for that to happen. There are good cases that we believe will make it to the U.S. Supreme Court. So decisions are made there before Congress has to. Uh, well, it's been great having you on the show for the first time. I'm glad we got to do it, and I'd love to have you back. My pleasure, Damon. Thanks for having me. It was great. Mark Serrano, president of Proactive Communications here on Live from Studio 6B. We got more to do. Paul's going to do some news. Rick will have sports. We'll do it all when we get back. Right after this.
these following words. True international average of pressure. <laughs> Live from Studio 6B, 30 minutes past that the hour. Never gets old. On Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240. Paul's going to do some news here in a second. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amrani's going to have sports coming up in a little bit. Geofran holding it down. And Chris is new, new to the show. Chris is on the floor here with us. All these fantastic moves. There's Chris. All these fantastic moves you're seeing on the jib. Uh, Chris is fantastic so far. So now, 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 what would he be? Of cons- course, after listening to the show, he may not make it back for take right. two. But now, <laughs> now, what does he consider? Is he a, a jib boom? A jib boom? What, what would no, his listen, title be? You don't worry about. We his don't title. need labels in this. I joint. just want to know. His title's more important than yours. That's all you need to know. <laughs> so don't worry about it. All right, let's for, do for some today, news. Until he let's do show some up news. Tomorrow. Here with uh, Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? Well, uh, more uh, more pedophiles being arrested. 57-year-old Bronx resident Paul Alexander was arrested <laughs> wait, Thursday. Wait, hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait a second. Can we, it's Monday. We <laughs> yeah. just all had a good weekend. Can is there? Can we start the news? All right, on, all right, all right. All right. People want good news. He, he, wants, he wants something light and airy. Okay, all right, Paul. 31 past the hour here. Let's, uh, let's do over. some news with Paul Nolan here. Take Mr. Two. Nolan, how you do? What's uh, going on uh, in the news? I'm good. Uh, aliens in hiding until <laughs> <laughs> is ready, says ex-Israeli spacehead. <laughs> the truth may be out there, but no, I was saving this for the end of the... All right, but it's worked here. Space aliens have reached an agreement with the U.S. government to stay mum on the experiments they conduct on Earth, as well as their secret base on Mars, until mankind is ready to accept them. The former head of Israeli's space program claimed in a new interview. This is a Babylon Bee? This is from the New York Post, just a notch away. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the aliens have asked to not announce that they are here because humanity is not ready yet, Haim Eshed told Israeli (laughs) paper. Uh, The Jewish press uh, speculating that Eshed, 87, may have gone to insanity and beyond, goes to unspool his angled web, which claims the involvement of uh, President Trump and inter planetary diplomacy. Trump was on the verge of revealing alien existence, but aliens in the Galactic Federation are saying, wait, let's calm down first. Um, so, uh, would you like me to go back to the pedophile? <laughs> <laughs> the pedophile story may have been, I mean, it's not funny, but it may have been more... Uh, you know what? Well, right. I swear to God, that was in the New York Post today. You know what? Uh, I remember six weeks ago where everybody was defending the New York Post. Remember about the Hunter Biden thing? Well, yeah. Um, so they tend to be pretty spot on. And, and let's, let's not forget, you know, there have been massive amounts of declassifications in recent years regarding things that uh, can't be explained. So well, maybe they're not too. It, it, it's all about slowly rolling things out, taking the temperature, seeing how people feel about stuff, and, and then then you know you figure out okay they weren't lying. Look 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 what actually happened. Uh, all right, I'm just saying. But that's how they are, do. Are you are you two it's, trying to lay the groundwork for how we find out properly about aliens on this planet? <laughs> Is that what you're trying to do? <laughs> I mean, the History Channel has a show that's been running for years. Ancient about aliens. This. Right? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm down with you. I, it's I'm fine just, by me. I'm just surprised they don't want to just make their big reveal soon. I mean, what else? This what better time than now? I know, really. 
All right, what else is um, – I'm afraid to ask, but what else is going on in the news today? <laughs> Paul, read him that one I sent you. No, please. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Is there uh, anything else? Yeah, there is. There is. There is. Uh, on the morning of November 5th, uh, 2020, election hung in the balance, and Arizona federal agents were raided a, stu- a two-story house in Fountain Hills, Maricopa County, a county that had become the key battleground in the presidential race. The agents were looking for evidence of a cyber attack on an unnamed organization and stolen voter data. the uh, They left uh, with eight hard drives, three computers, and a bag of USB sticks. The resident of the property, 56-year-old IT expert named Elliot Kerwin, uh, was served the warrant. He is not yet facing charges and was unreachable for comment at the time of the publication. There is no indication that any other uh, voter information, which can be required for a few hundred dollars in Arizona counties, was taken or affected the office. However, the warrant discovered by Forbes this week reveals that investigators have been looking into the computer intrusion for an unnamed victim office, which occurred October 21st to November 4th at the Kerwin resident. They were looking for other evidence within the seized computers. Um, Of the uh, 15 county recorders offices contacted by Forbes about the investigation, only one, Maricopa County, confirmed voter data had been stolen, uh, noting the federal investigation is underway. Right, so I saw this story. I actually retweeted it, and then I looked into it because people were tweeting it as if it was somehow going to be tied to the uh, you know the Trump campaign, and it's not. So basically, you're allowed to go on the Secretary of State's site and I guess look at information, but you're not allowed to download it. So that that's this case is just strictly about somebody who had downloaded information that they were not supposed to, but it, it has no uh, bearing on all of this other election stuff. So when people yeah. were trying to frame, look, the FBI is investigating. No, it's, it's right. they right. might be investigating, but it has nothing to do with... Uh, what time did you do that? Because I got this like 6.30 this morning. Yeah, it was probably about 10, 10 11 a.m. this morning. And, and not only that, the story's uh, about a month old. So is yeah. that the one you sent me, Rick? Could be. Yeah, um, all right, so a couple of, a couple of things. I mean, I, there's so much I want to get into with the election stuff. Um, and I want to get to eventually Molly Hemingway because she wrote a piece about this video that I played for you on Friday, if you remember, the, um, the local news station who put together a piece with Gabriel Sterling in the video from the, the Georgia Election Board and basically said, no, 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 this is, a, this is all debunked. There's no, nothing here. And um, I said on Friday that if if that story was true, you'd probably see people back off. So Molly Hemingway comes out this morning with an article um, that basically says, no, 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 no. The Georgia vote counting video was not debunked, not even close. So she steps her way through it. So I want to get to that as well. But let's let's spend some time here on um, if you watch Life, Liberty and Levin last night, as I do every Sunday night. Last night was fantastic. He had Daniel Horowitz on to break down uh, some of the anomalies that we've talked about also on this show. And he had Patrick Basham, is how you pronounce his last name, who I read you last week, that fantastic article that he had in The Spectator, going through all the different anomalies that say, okay, well, I guess this is not totally uh, impossible, but it certainly is as close to implausible as you can possibly find, given that Things like Barack Obama in his second term lost three and a half million votes and easily got reelected while President Trump got 11 million more and we're told he lost all the bellwether counties. He went th- he went through all of those data that make you just scratch your head. Um, so he was on Levin last night and then Levin came out with something today and said, what would happen? 
uh, if Congress would have final say as to whether to accept or not the Pennsylvania electors and, and specifically to this Act 77, which we've talked about here on the show, that they put into this omnibus bill in Pennsylvania and pushed through. By the way, in October of 19, before there was any coronavirus. So the idea that coronavirus um, is the whole reason for any of this, it's part, maybe part of it, like they said, to run cover. But they were, the Democrats were in court well before we even heard the term coronavirus. Remember that. They were in courts all over the country trying to level the, trying to change the playing field, trying to change the election laws with no mention of coronavirus. That just added to their, um, to the cover they could run for why we all needed mail-in voting. But they had started this well before coronavirus was even heard of. Um, so he says, is Justice Alito's date switch intended to head off a constitutional confrontation with the House of Representatives? That's the question he poses. He says, in response to that, after all, the entire purpose of a constitutional process is not, nor should it be, to simply go through the bureaucratic steps if there are real issues and concerns about electors. The process puts Congress as a final check on a presidential, vice presidential election. In the end, if the Supreme Court were to issue an injunction... Or if the court simply ruled on the constitutional issues and left it to Congress to determine the next steps, the Pennsylvania electors would be tainted and Congress would decide on January 6th what to do about it. If the Pennsylvania governor and secretary of state were to defy a Supreme Court injunction, that too would wind up in Congress as an issue to address. The new Congress would have a majority of Democrats in the House, albeit a very narrow majority, and the Senate would have, at worst, from my perspective, a 50-50 split in party affiliation. That said, who would still be the president pro temp of the Senate? Question mark. Mike Pence would be uh, the sitting vice president. Now, speculation is just that, and I am reacting to this post at Red State, the anonymous person's third or fourth, but the House ultimately would select the president if the matter would come for a vote of the delegations, although a majority of the delegations would be Republican, one vote per delegation. The question is how to get past a majority of the House to get a vote of the delegations. Also, if the court were to send the matter back to the state legislature, which is out of session right now, but presumably would have to come back into session, or live with the consequences, including the eventual exclusion of Pennsylvania's electors, then again, it has thrown the matter back to the political branch that knowingly created the problem in the first place. How that would be resolved, we cannot know, but it is certainly an option. In short, if the Pennsylvania legislature cannot act in a timely and constitutional matter, it's on them. None of this matters for the moment. My concern is if the Supreme Court does not properly resolve the constitutional issue in Pennsylvania, then the lid is off for states to do anything they want to influence the outcome of choice of electors. Article 2's plenary power will now mean all power, including brazenly unlawful acts. Perhaps if the state legislature were to pass a law that said only Democrats can be electors, that might pass the muster. 
Where will the line be drawn if not here and now? If a state legislature, a state Supreme Court, and the executive all participate in various forms of unconstitutional conduct for the purpose of selecting electors in a wholly federal process of selecting a president and vice president, the damage to the integrity, validity, and lawfulness of the entire process is gravely affected. That's the problem that few are focusing on, and certainly none in the media are. So uh, that's some food for thought for Mr. Levin there. Well, that, well, that's interesting as well, because if, if you're saying that it gets kicked back, and like you said, it goes back to the people that made the mess, how do you think they're going to resolve it? You know, let's face it, it th- they've already shown their propensity to, to, to lean a certain way. Well, but remember, the state legislature, the state legislature... Republicans didn't really, you can't really say that the legislature created the problem. The Democrats created the problem by stuffing it in to this omnibus bill. Where the Republicans, you could say they dropped the ball or they folded like a cheap suit or they weren't paying attention. Yeah. But you can't say that necessarily they created the problem. So now if it was squarely back into the state legislature to decide, you would, you would think as spineless as they can be sometimes, the Republicans would step up, but who knows? Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, we've already seen them be spineless, so why not just them just throw up their hands and go, well, we don't want to cause any problems. You got, you know, you know we'll just do it like this from now on. Well, you, because you, it'll make everybody happy. Well, it'll make the Democrats happy because they'll right. win every election going forward for the rest of time, and it will be ca- the whole country will be California, basically. So. Yeah. All right, live from Studio 6B on a Monday night. Glad you're with us. Brand new week, lots to do. More news, sports coming up. We'll do it when we get back right after this. All right, live from Studio 6B on a Monday night. 13 till the hour. Glad you're in. Paul Nolan's going to have some news. Rick uh, Delgado's here. I've got a bunch of good stuff to get to, including Molly Hemingway this morning from The Federalist. We'll break down. She goes through that video in Georgia that a lot of people want to tell us is debunked. Don't worry about it. Uh, Everything was fine and dandy, including the news piece I played for you on Friday. So we'll get to her take on it. But right now, let's get to Mr. Amirati's take on sports. Uh, Mr. Amirati, how are you? Hey, big day. What's going on in sports? Big weekend in rodeo down in Arlington, Texas, Globe Life Field. Wrangler National Finals rodeo over the weekend. A couple of results, rounds three and four took place Saturday and Sunday. And here we go. Bareback riding round three, KC Field riding on explosive skies, 91 and a half. First place gets $26,231 in each round, Big D. So that's going to be the number one uh, prize for each round when I announce. Saddle Bronc round, uh, round three. Alan Bohr on yesterday's delivery at 90 and a half. Round four was Ryder White on Sunglow. 89 and a half was the score. And uh, bull riding, Colton Fritzlin, round three. Angels Landing rode for an 89. Round four was Ty Wallace on Ellipse. That's with two Ps. 89 and a half. <laughs> and Steer Wrestling, well, round God three. Thank God you told us that. <laughs> I, I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> just, just so we can distinguish. Just to clarify here yeah. for our rodeo fans. And we have plenty. Uh, Steer Wrestling, round three. Big 
D. Will Loomis in three and a half seconds. Round four was Jacob Talley in three and a three point four seconds. And I'll have more in uh, the second segment, including barrel racing, Paul. So we got nice. barrel racing results. The ladies were out there. Um, and uh, big upset in football today. The Pittsburgh Steelers, formerly 11-0, are now 11-1 as the Washington football team defeated them 23-17 to in Heinz Field. Alex Smith, the new born-again quarterback, 31-46, 296 yards and a touchdown. Two late field goals, and they outscored the Steelers 10-3 in the fourth. And I'll tell you, Mike Tomlin has got to be fit to be tied as the Steelers now fall to 11-1. And the 1972 Dolphins, they're popping the corks on the champagne, those that are still around. Uh, to celebrate that. that perfect season. It's still intact as the only season in NFL history. <laughs> I think no one's more fit to be tied than me. I had over 41 and a half. <laughs> was that? What was the final score? 41? Uh, no, yeah, 23-17. Oh. Final score was and 40. They missed, like, Wasn't that line six? I mean, that's like such eight, a giveaway that Washington was going to win. Eight and, How, and a half. What was it? Eight and a half. Man, I saw six at one point today. I Did saw you? six and a half. Under a point. touchdown. Yeah, right. Six, six, oh, six yeah, and yeah. a half. Oh, yeah, it came down. And I said yeah. to myself, man, if they're not favored by at least a touchdown, Washington's going to win the game. Well, did I play it? Of course not. Hey, course hey not. here's All a right. question. What what time did they play this game? Five o'clock because uh, they have the normal night, night game tonight. Did, yep. did they want anyone to watch it or no? No, I don't think. I don't think, I don't they, think they had it anymore. They, they had to squeeze it, it in. They got Dallas is playing tomorrow night, first Tuesday game ever. They're playing at eight o'clock. Yeah, the schedule's um, a disaster. at it this It is point. total. So. And uh, speaking of the other game, Big D, Buffalo Bills for, and San Francisco 49ers being played in um, Arizona, in Glendale, Arizona, in the State Farm Stadium, uh, due to a uh, no live sports restriction in Santa Clara County. The 49ers' new home field for the next two games is going to be in Arizona, and where it's nothing, nothing against a really good Buffalo Bills team. We'll keep an eye on that score and report a little bit later. Um, we have some time for some NFL scores. Big D. Sure. Okay. Uh, New Orleans 21, Atlanta 16. New Orleans now 10-2. and two. Detroit 34-30. QB Matt, uh, over Chicago. QB Matt Stafford, 402 yards, three touchdowns. Indianapolis Colts, they're looking good. Got to give them a little bit of love. They won 26-20 over Houston. Indy's now 8-4. and four. Cincinnati falls to Miami. Let me, let me just jump in on that Indianapolis game. The over-under in that game was 50. The halftime score, there was 41 points at halftime. <laughs> you know how many points they scored in the second half? They scored yeah. two. <laughs> it 40, under. 46 was the total score. It stayed under 50, 46. They scored two in the second half. Yep, That's a bad beat. Uh, Miami Dolphins continue to look good as they beat Cincinnati 19-7. Tua Tagovailoa, 26-39, 296 yards and one touchdown for the Watch rookie. out for Miami. I'm yeah. saying it here now. Watch out for Miami. They're a sleeper. Minnesota, an OT by a field goal Jack, over Jacksonville, 27-24. to 24. Uh, Jacksonville's now 1-11. Trailing, and this is my segue, those 0-12 New York Jets in possibly one of the worst calls in <laughs> NFL history for the last play of the game as, the, as the Derek Carr hit uh, Ruggs on a bomb. What was it? <laughs> after an all-out blitz. Zero, zero coverage. All-out blitz. <laughs> yeah. And it's like they fire him, right? Because Greg Williams, yeah. You gotta go, right? You gotta just get out. Right? Yeah. Don't even get your stuff on Yeah, Because of that play, he's gotta go. <laughs> right, exactly. Don't worry about the 0 10. If you saw the play before where they were trying to run out the clock, the thing that running back ran outside, ran out of bounds. Instead of like going down, he could have chipped off like 17 more seconds. Well, no, the Jets. The I mean, Jets, I mean, for God. Everything in New York sucks. The mayor, just the governor, the, the football team. It, it sucks. It's unbelievable. That's why it's a mass exodus that no one's talking about out of places like New York and California. Oh, did, I don't know. Did you see that uh, 
the what, uh, Wall Street big bank is on Goldman Wall Street. Sachs. Goldman Sachs almost is, yeah. is moving out to Florida. He's thinking about moving out. They shouldn't let him in Florida. And the mayor will tell you, oh, don't worry, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. No, they're not. <laughs> it's mass exodus out of New York, California, Chicago. And, and the media won't talk about it. Yeah. I believe the numbers are upwards of 2 million. I think they're going to build a new wall to keep the rest of us in. Yeah. At this point. Snake Plissken time. <laughs> All right, what else, Rick? All right, Big D, and I'll have some more NFL scores and also some college scores in the next segment. That's a wrap for now. All right, very good. Um, so there's a there's a piece in Uncovered DC, which I like. I go to the, there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, and it lays out a bunch of scenarios um, from this point forward. And I want to just give you a little bit of it, so get some dates. Although, of course, Mark Serrano just told us, don't worry about the dates, but I'm going to give you the dates anyway. So obviously, as we know it, and of course, this year is unlike any other year, so maybe none of this will matter in 2020, but December 8th, Obviously, tomorrow is the safe harbor deadline at noon, I believe it is, which is why Justice Alito said, I want an answer at 9 a.m., which will give them three hours to decide if they want to hear the case. Uh, That's when the states must resolve disputes over which ballots to count and report final votes for state certification. Uh, The 14th is the Electoral College meeting. By this date, the state governors report election results to Congress via a certificate of ascertainment that identifies which candidate won the state as well as the slate of electors appointed to the Electoral College. The Electoral College then meets and votes for president and vice president and sends a record of the votes to Congress. January 3rd, new Congress is installed. The newly elected U.S. Congress is convened and a new and re-elected members are sworn into office. Now, this year is different because we have this runoff on the 5th. So we won't even know who holds control of, of the Senate until after the runoff on the 5th. Then on January 6th, Congress counts electoral college votes. And this is, again, if you're going to get a Mo Brooks or a, um, a uh, Matt Gates, and then one senator to stand up and say, no, 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 we're challenging some of these electoral college votes in some of these states, this will be when it happens. The newly sworn in 117th Congress is convened in a joint session during which the electoral college votes are counted and the next president and vice president are chosen. That's the day he would become president-elect, by the way. So then he can open his office with all his banners and his little stuff. Yeah, but I heard the uh, even electoral college is going to be using Dominion for their counting process. So you got to look forward to that. That'll be Yeah, fun. that's great. January 20th is an obviously inauguration day, so we know that. So <clears throat> then they go through a bunch of different scenarios. States, uh, if any of the state lawsuits uh, succeed, uh, in that scenario, what happens? The state legislatures intervene, which at this point we're not holding out too much hope because most Republicans in these state legislatures, unlike are the anti uh, Colonel Mastriano who continues to try to lead the charge in Pennsylvania. Although the word is he doesn't have nearly as much support as you would think, at least on the congressional side, I think I gave you the numbers in the Senate. They hold a 28 to 21 margin in the house. I believe it's even bigger, but, um, so then the other choices obviously are the U.S. Supreme Court bundled ruling. Uh, then they go through the 12th Amendment. If the Electoral College cannot cast 270 votes, which is something we should spend some time on that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. It's been mentioned if he was to, let's say, get o- overturned Pennsylvania or another state, and then all of a sudden neither of them have 270 what happens in that scenario as well. So maybe we'll spend some time looking at that as well. But lots of scenarios, long way to go still. Like Mark Serrano said, 
Now till January 6th seems like a lifetime. Live from Studio 6 p.m. on a Monday. Glad you're in. Social media break coming up. Stay with us. More to do. Hour two. from Studio 6B on a Monday night. Glad you're in. December 7th, hour two. Paul Nolan's going to do some more news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amorati's going to have sports. Gio Fran holding it down. Chris is on the floor. Uh, Monday on Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Lots to do in hour two. Couple crazy towns to get to. One that's, one that's crazy. I mean, you've probably all seen it. It's, it's as crazy as crazy town gets. Uh, but let's go through. We mentioned um, that Cruz came out and said if the Supreme Court hears this case in out of Pennsylvania, Representative Kelly and uh, Sean Parnell and I think five or six other um, citizens who partook in this filing, Cruz said today, "You want to put? Do you have those tweets, G? Put those up." So Cruz says. Um, because of the importance of the legal issues presented, I've publicly urged SCOTUS to hear the case brought by Congressman Mike Kelly, Congressional Candidate Sean Parnell, State Representative Candidate Wanda Loga, challenging the constitutionally constitutionality of the POTUS election results in Pennsylvania. Petitioner's legal team has asked me whether I'd be willing to argue the case before Supreme Court. If the court grants, I have agreed and told them that if the court takes the appeal, I will stand ready to present the oral argument. As I said last week, the bitter division and acrimony we see across the nation needs resolution. I believe SCOTUS has a responsibility to the American people to ensure within its powers that we are following the law and following the Constitution. So that from Senator Cruz tonight, that he will argue on behalf of Congressman Kelly and Parnell here. And uh, he's argued in front of the Supreme Court, obviously, before. He is um, obviously as constitutionally sound as you can be. So the idea of him arguing this would be really, in some ways, I actually think it would be the ultimate ending to this, at least for this case. And you could feel that if he made the case and whatever the decision is, that you'd have to be pretty comfortable with it if he argues it. Right. It will not leave the door open for any kind of uh, second guessing. You know he will absolutely hit and present the single strongest a reason why this Act 77 was not, not that he, I mean, not that it's really that hard, you would think, given what the Pennsylvania state constitution says has to happen. Uh, consecutive general assembly meetings, then it has to be printed in the local newspaper, then it has to be voted on by the, I mean, none of that happened. None of it. I mean, so you wouldn't think, I mean, you think I could argue this and get it. I mean, well, maybe not, but um, you get my drift here. I mean, at some point, we're either a nation of laws and the laws actually mean something. And it's, if it says this is what's got to happen, this is what's got to happen. Yeah. And it sets him up nicely for 2024. In what respect? Well, looking down the road. 
because now he's going to be elevating himself. I mean, I'm just looking at it from different angles here. Of course, he's arguing for today and hopefully for the, the betterment of the country, but he's also got to have an eye on his future. I think they all do. If, you know, certain things come into play, if this goes the way it should go, then who knows? Maybe he sets himself up. Sets himself up to what? Like I said, 2024. To run as a candidate or, or be yeah. on the Supreme Court to hopefully get what, – what I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about running for president. He's, oh, he's run okay. for president before, yeah. and he took second last time out to think, you know, okay, you know what? The base is there, 80 million plus. If I defend this guy, if I get, if I get the result that we need, they're all, they're all following me too. Well, it's possible. I mean, he's argued before, obviously, and run before. So, but I, I get, I get your point. Uh, obviously, anything like that, people certainly in this, to, I guess, to the point of what he said, America needs some rev, uh, resolution here and feel because it's, it's no good for Biden if he does go in with with this, you know, the undergirding here that he's going to go in with, when people just think. This is all just nonsense. Right. If you it doesn't ever help see, him. Yeah, and it doesn't help want, Trump, by the way. If, if you he, ever want to see an illegitimate president, let, let Biden win. That's illegitimate. But it's the same for the other side. If Trump somehow was to, if the elect, if the Congress was, say, you know, if something happens here and he was able to, it's going to be the same situation. It's no better. It's no better. We need some resolution so that. I mean, you're never going to have everybody who think, okay, well, we got this is perfect, and right. is, that's not happening. Right, right, well, yeah. But well, you can't, I mean. Well, that's why you hope for something that's, you know, so huge, so obvious, that once it's displayed to everybody, they would go like, eh, I guess they were right. Either side, doesn't matter. As long as, as, long as it's definitive and people could accept it, then yes, you could, you could say, okay, now we can get past this. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's. Uh, I got a couple of crazy towns here. Let's go to speaking of New York, and we were talking about the mayor and people leaving New York because it's such a disaster. New York City, New York State, the governor of New York. Well, the governor of New York was um, on in one of his meetings, town hall meetings or whatever he does here. These coronavirus meetings he does with his staff, and um, here's how it went. Roll that, G. I think your voice on saying that the vaccines are safe uh, would be important. I said that as soon as uh, the vaccine is deemed ready and safe, I'll be the first one to take a vaccine. Uh, Maybe we enlist you, I'll do it with you. We'll do an ad telling New Yorkers it's safe to take the vaccine to, to, you know, put us together. We're like the uh, modern day uh, De Niro and Pacino. You can be which whenever, whichever you want. You can be the De Niro or Pacino. <laughs> Fauci Pacino. and Cuomo, I'll give you a front. Who, who do you want to be, De Niro or Pacino? Which one do you want to be? I love them both. <laughs> I love them both. I don't want to insult one or the other. If I say one, I don't want to hurt the feelings of the other. Yeah. So Who's the politician? All right, last question. I know you're down in Washington. You're doing great duty, but I know you miss New York. Uh, what? We want to figure out what to send you from Christmas for Christmas. What food do you miss the most that you can't get down there that you could get if you were back here in New York and Brooklyn? 
You know, Governor, whenever I need some comfort food and I dream back of my days in the Bensonhurst section of Brooklyn, the thing that comes to my mind are two things, a nice Nathan hot dog and a really steaming pastrami sandwich. <laughs> that would be really great. So while um, New York businesses, restaurants are pretty much all out of out of business, people whose lives are being destroyed. This is um, the governor's yucking it up here with the quack. Quack quack. Yes, with Dr. Fauci. And this is what. Um, well, I mean, I don't even know how to. I mean, how, how to th- explain that? How do you think he got his Emmy? Come on. This, this guy is just, he is the man when it comes to these uh, coronavirus, uh, whatever, he, whatever these things are. I don't even know what you call it. Now he's got guests. Who knows? Maybe he's going to start giving away, you know, cars soon like Oprah. What's next, Andy? Oh. The 50-year 50 50 year <laughs> bureaucrat we're turning to to all of a sudden now tell us the governor's all on board with the vaccines. Or he's not on board, or he's not on board. Who knows? Where, I don't know where he stands on them. And the I, worst thing about it is they, there's still no one's asked the question. There's no study that's going to prove that people are going to be, you know, um, they won't be contagious after they take the vaccine. There's a, big, there's a lot of contra- <laughs> yeah. controversy about this. Well, there's a lot of controversy about... All of it, on every e- level. Even being safe as far as what it, will, what it will do... To certain, I heard a, a physician on what I can't remember who it was, but he said, "You know, I have concerns. You hear these ridiculous numbers that we need 330 million doses, as if we're going to start vaccinating all of these people. I mean, especially like think about 50 year old and under." Well, they were saying that this won't really take unless you take two or three doses of it. But you understand that people don't realize what they're doing here. This is an RNA. This is a DNA altering drug. Right. And and let's remember the one thing that's really convenient for the insurance companies is that they don't have any liability whatsoever if that vaccine hurts you none there's no responsibility you know they are they they, they get away with it they so who's who's racing for this thing well so i was what i was saying was the physician who was on whatever show i was listening to was in the car so it had to be talk radio was saying that um you know, in healthy people where the body, I mean, this is a 99.96 survival rate if you're, I think, like 55 and under. It's more, we're talking, we're talking about a vaccine that may be 90% effective for a virus that you have a 99.96% of chance of surviving without it. He says, I have concerns what it could possibly do as far as breaking down um, some proteins and stuff in the body that normally. And how it would affect how it would affect the body long term. I mean, so there's we don't have the five to ten year data studies that we would normally have in a vaccine. He was talking about. So I mean, there's many concerns here. But here's the real concern, right? If this was obviously right, we do we all agree that this was made in a lab? We it's been proven. The peer reviewed studies. It's too perfect in its in its manner. It clings to the cell too well. So many things about it, right? We all agree that the studies that were done in uh, you know in 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 the Netherlands and even uh, peer reviewed out of the study in India over in Cold Spring Harbor Labs. So if the people refuse to take it, can they make another virus like it? That that that's way more deadly and dangerous. What's the end game here? Well, that, to 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 that point, 
one of the things that this gentleman was talking about, he said, what if there's COVID-21 or COVID-20 or 21? What the next one? And then because you've taken this vaccine that you haven't been able to prove um, the safety and what it might do to certain healthy parts of the body, breaking down certain things. And then what happens if there's another one? And then they come up with another vaccine that's now fighting against this vaccine. And you end up getting and you end up getting hurt because of them. So I mean, there's just so many. But again, the point of the crazy town is here's the governor of New York yucking it up with. Um, meanwhile, could you if you've lost? I mean, you look at the numbers in New York. I saw I saw a great tweet that said anybody who argues with you about Governor Cuomo in New York and what a what a great job he did just. I got to get the math, but he, he broke down the math of the, the deaths in New York per a thousand and what, what it comes out to be. But could you imagine if you were, had relatives or people in New York and they've died from this and you haven't been able to see them and you've, everything's locked down, you've lost your business. And here he is yucking it up with Fauci, who's, who's a big 50-year bureaucrat lib, which is what he is. He's been all over the place on everything, on masks and everything else. And here he is. This is a big, big, you know, ho, ho, ho. It's a big joke. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And, and then you couple that with the fact that uh, they're going to be issuing vaccination cards, I'm finding here as well. Um, again, they're going to be given to people who have gotten their COVID-19 shots. And from what, what we've heard about one of the, uh, I think it was the Pfizer, is that the first one can really knock you for a loop. And then after your body kind of recovers, they give you the second one. But the people who are most frail, um, don't be surprised if, uh, you know, granny or grandpa gets that first shot and they don't make it to a second one. Well, we don't know. We don't. That's the point. We don't know. Right. Studio 6B, 17 past the hour. Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Paul's going to have some more news. Rick uh, Emirati will have more sports. Rick Delgado's here. Geo Fran holding it down. Chris on the floor. Um, lots to do. So let's get into Molly Hemingway here. Uh, actually, this is, yeah, I can get into it. So she says, no, the Georgia vote counting video was not debunked. Not even close. A big tech-backed fact-checking outfit claimed to debunk explosive evidence for Republicans' claims of significant election problems in Georgia. It didn't, she says. A big tech-backed fact-checking outfit claimed to debunk explosive evidence in the support of Republicans' claims of significant election problems at a Thursday Georgia Senate hearing. It didn't. Not even close. Newly discovered security footage from Georgia State Farm Arena showed dozens of ballot counters, media, and Republican observers leaving en masse at the same time from ballot counting areas for Fulton County. After they left, a small remnant of about four workers began pulling trunks containing ballots from underneath a table with a long tablecloth and running them through machines. The footage supported claims from Republicans that they were told counting had stopped for the night, only to find out hours later that it had kept going. 
you can and should watch the 12-minute portion of the testimony from Jackie Pick here. And, of course, we showed that to you as she went through it. On Friday morning, a group called Lead Stories published a hoax alert, quote-unquote, falsely claiming to have debunked the security video. The Washington Post, Newsweek, and other outlets followed along, criticizing non-leftist journalists for giving the video any traction. In fact, none of the claims made by Republicans were debunked. Lead Stories fact-checked, says government officials told them everything was fine with the counting, that the ballots were in containers, not suitcases, and that party observers were never told to leave because counting was over for the night. Leaving aside whether relying solely and uncritically on government officials' claims constitute anything close to a fact-check, she says, Let's look at the claim that party observers were never told that counting was over for the night. In lead stories, regurgitation of government officials' claims, only the people who cut open the absentee ballot envelopes were sent home, while ballot counters and scanners were retained and kept working, and no one told the press or other observers they were done counting. She says, were Republican poll watchers and the media told counting had stopped for the night? Georgia Republican Party Chairman J. David Schaefer has consistently said that's what happened at State Farm Arena beginning hours after the election. He tweeted, in fact, Fulton County told our observers last night to go home because they were closing up and then they continued to count ballots in secret. That claim, which he has repeated consistently, is backed by sworn affidavits from two Republican observers who further alleged they were kept an unreasonable distance from the ballots even while they were at the State Farm Arena, making it completely impossible to meaningfully do their jobs. The video, which shows the room from four different angles, fully supports the claim that poll watchers were kept away from meaningful observation of the ballots being handled. The observers say they arrived for their observation jobs around 8 p.m. They say in the first half hour of the 10 o'clock hour, a woman with blonde braids who appeared to be the supervisor yelled out to those present in the room that they would stop working for the night and would resume in the morning. The Republican poll watchers said they asked Fulton County election spokesperson Regina Waller questions about the status of the ballot count multiple times, but she refused to answer. Lead story, however, says, quote, there was never an announcement made to the media and other observers about the counting being over for the night and them needing to leave, according to Francis Watson, chief investigator for the Georgia Secretary of State, who was provided information by the media liaison who was president. While Lead Stories doesn't name that liaison, the media liaison who was present that night, according to the affidavits, was Regina Waller, the Fulton County Public Affairs Manager for Elections. Okay, so on one hand, you have sworn affidavits from observers saying that supervisors told ballot counters to go home for the evening shortly after 10 p.m. and a video showing everyone leaving at that time. And then on the other hand, you have two government officials promising that no one was told that counting was over. Is there any other evidence to consider? Question mark. Well, on election night, ABC, ABC News reported that ballot counters were sent home at the time that the Republican observers said everyone was told to stop. Their source? Regina Waller. (laughs) The Republican poll watcher story matches this election night reporting from ABC perfectly. And it wasn't just ABC that reported counting was delayed. Many media outlets reported on counting delays, 
See, for example, Fulton County stopped counting absentee ballots for the night article. Local NBC journalists on site that night independently confirmed they were told counting was done for the night, quote unquote, and given no indication it would continue before the next morning. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution even reported of a, quote, plan to stop scanning ballots at the same time the poll watchers said things were shut down. Some debunking there, guys. The video supports the claims from the affidavit. Incidentally, most of the linked stories include mention of a major election day story of a pipe burst delaying vote counting. Some even said it was reportedly a water main. In a new affidavit, the aforementioned Regina Watson swore, quote, our investigation revealed that the incident initially reported as a water leak late in the evening on November 3rd was actually a urinal that had overflowed early in the morning of November 3rd. She also said that her investigation shows that the press and observers simply left on their own, quote unquote. Although she later said workers put ballots underneath the table because they thought that the counting was stopped for the evening. This was done, quote, she says, because employees thought that they were done for the night, they were closing up and ready to leave. And now the big question that everyone talks about, was there a state election board monitor present while partisan observers were gone? A Newsweek story quoted someone saying the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger office claimed that a designated election observer was at that spot all night the entire time. I showed you the clip from the news media on Friday down there in the local uh, Fox affiliate, I believe it was, who ran story, and the whole story was based on that. He was in that piece, Rassensberger, uh, or Gabriel Sterling it was, who was in the piece, and said, no, no, we had somebody there. This is all nonsense, basically. Uh, lead stories emphasizes that while partisan observers may not have been present, an unnamed state election board monitor was present. A state election board monitor who asked for his name not to be used due to safety concerns told Lee Stories on the phone on December 3rd that he was present at the vote counting location beginning at 11.52 p.m. After leaving briefly at earlier in the evening, he then stayed till about 12.45 a.m. The monitor only claims to have been present in the processing room from 11.52 to 12.45 the following morning, or less than an hour. That means there were neither partisan monitors nor the state election board monitor for more than an hour after ballots began being scanned again at 10.35. What the fact check shows then is the monitor admitting he wasn't present for most of the time in question, contrary to claims made by the Secretary of State's office. For whatever it's worth, the same monitor is the subject of an affidavit from another witness devoted exclusively to concerns about the monitor's conduct prior to the late hours on election day, according to a member of Trump team. The claims include that he was sleeping on the job and staring at his phone all night. Incidentally, Fulton County had such massive problems managing elections earlier this year that they were fined and forced into a settlement agreement that included a requirement that they independently monitor uh, that they be independently monitored, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The U.S. Department of Justice also sent an election monitor to Fulton County. Contrary to the media impressions that a state monitor is sufficient oversight, the press and partisan observers are just as if not more important. The false public claim about a pause in counting led to the departure of the press and the Republican observers. 
And then she goes through a bunch of numbers here that I don't have time to go through, but I'll link to the, uh, we've already linked to this on our Twitter and it is absolutely worth the read. It's very in-depth and it goes through um, this whole entire thing because this video was a huge deal. And then of course you had partisan media saying, no, 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 no. And then then you had Gabriel Sterling saying, no, 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 nothing to see here. So, all right, Paul, we'll do some more news when we get back. Do some more sports. Live from Studio 6B on a Monday. Glad you're in. And if we do, and I'm sure we can, we can proclaim the palmist, with the palmist who wrote these following words. True international average of pressure. All right, live from Studio 6B on a Monday night, 30 minutes past the hour. Glad you're in. Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Paul's going to do some news here in a second. We'll do more sports. Rick Delgado's here. Gio Fran Chris here. Um, let's do some news, Mr. Nolan. What else is going on? Here's a good story from the Epoch Times. Uh, what's happening in the U.S. election matches what happened in Venezuela, experts say. Irregularities that have taken place in this year's U.S. presidential election are eerily similar to voting manipulation that helped Hugo Chavez stay in power in 2004, according to a senior former CIA official. He describes Chavez, who ruled Venezuela from 1999 until his death in 2003, as a new kind of dictator. Uh, This is now quote. This is from uh, from the Epic Times. that's when he started to panic, said the former intelligence official. He said the ex- he's also an expert of Latin American political and counterterrorism. Um, he said that he started to talk into a company called Indra, which is a Spanish company that runs elections. The technology used by Indra at the time, according to the expert, wasn't flexible enough to do what Chavez wanted it to do. He said that the regime turned to Smartmatic, a company registered in Delaware and founded by three young Venezuelan engineers, after receiving a contract for $150 million to overhaul the country's election system ahead of the 2004 referendum, Smartmatic bought machines from an Italian lottery machine uh, maker named Olivetti. At midnight on election day, the machine uh, stopped counting, he said, and at that point, Chavez was losing. By 3 a.m., Chavez had won by 10%. So, you know, it's, uh, we're seeing, you know, seeing the same thing. All right, what else is going on? Well, I just, you know, again, we were talking about, you know, all the pedophiles that have been taken down in the last four years. And uh, this is another one. A Bronx resident, Paul Alexander, was arrested Thursday for trafficking girls as young as 12 years old. The arrest was the result of a joint investigation by the state prosecutor's office called Operation Mile High. And uh, the CEO of Central Jet Chartered and uh, was uh, was was uh, undergoing an investigation uh, for uh, an agent with uh, the agent was under uh, was offered three hundred dollars to have sex with two girls, and both victims earning uh, a third of the mon- money. Uh, the article read, uh, the guy went on to encourage the undercover police officer to get the children drunk or high to make them more sexually deviant. So he's in jail, and hopefully uh, there's enough evidence. Um, so I just got something sent to me here from my friend Dr. Gary Di Benedetto. Um, Paul, you're going to be interested in this, as will everyone in this state of New York listening to me. 
uh, right now. So this is um, a New York bill was introduced today to force COVID-19 vaccines on everyone. Let me read uh, this to you. Despite numerous polls showing that a majority of Americans and New Yorkers do not want to get a COVID-19 vaccine and governors in Texas, Tennessee, and Florida declaring that COVID-19 shots will be voluntary. And by the way, let me just throw in, so has Joe Biden said that it shouldn't be mandatory, nor should masks be mandatory either. So let's at least talk about, let's give credit where at least credit, some credits do, that he at least came out and said he doesn't think they should be mandatory as well. So throw his name in there as well. But that hasn't stopped New York Assemblywoman Linda Rosenthal, Democrat from the Upper West Side, (laughs) introduced Assembly Bill A-11179 today that would allow unspecified, quote, public health officials to decide if all New York residents should be forced to get COVID-19 vaccines. As of yet, the bill has no co-sponsors in the Assembly or an identical same-as bill in the state Senate. Uh, To our knowledge, this is the first bill introduced in the United States that would mandate COVID-19 vaccines. Of course, leave it to some raging lib in New York City to do it. Vague language is included that may allow for medical exemptions. No other exemptions would be allowed. If passed, this bill would also create the first universal vaccine mandate for the entire population of a state, a long-sought-after marketing goal of the vaccine industry. Rosenthal's bill would also ask her colleagues in the legislature to agree to an unprecedented surrender of decision-making power to, quote, public health officials over how and when a vaccine becomes compulsory and does not even specify if those are local or state officials. So that um, sent to me directly from my good friend, Dr. Gary DiBenedetto. Uh, Paul, your reaction. <laughs> I've been, I've been, uh, I've been sending that to everybody I know. I must have sent that text out to sign the petition against it like three hundred times now. So, you know, it's it's crazy. I just can't even imagine what happened to my body, my choice. What what happened to that? Well, that only comes to when you're killing kids. But Paul, right. come on. Same as science too. It's just, come on, you know. I mean, yeah, we got to trust the science. Well, isn't science a never-ending thing where everybody debates it until they kind of work on it? Oh no. It's only Dr. Fauci's science? Oh, no, it's Dr. Gates's. Wait, Gates isn't a scientist? I'm confused. I think he's a software engineer, isn't he? <laughs> I don't know what he's a Yeah, he's not good at that either, by the way. And don't forget, he's got Asperger's and he covers it up. Uh, Gio, what did you say to me? I didn't hear what you said. Yeah, do we have it? So, so speaking of Joe Biden's science, because when it comes to science, he's all about Fauci. Follow the science and certain science he's into. So... Here is, uh, this is, who is it? Chuck Schumer, right? Or this is uh, Biden? Oh, okay, yes. So, oh, Warnock on abortion, right. So here's Warnock, um, who's running on the state runoff in Georgia. He uh, had the debate last night with Kelly uh, Loeffler, and abortion uh, came up, and here's what he said. Roll it. Look, these are more lies from radical liberal Raphael Warnock, someone that has invited Fidel Castro, a murderous dictator, into his own church, someone that has celebrated anti-American, anti-Semite Jeremiah Wright. You know, he has also said that police officers are gangsters and thugs and refused to apologize for it. He said that you can't serve God and the military. He has actually made sure that we know who he is in his own words. Those aren't my words. 
I'm working hard to serve Georgians. I've served thousands of Georgians, and I'm so proud to represent this state and help Georgians through this challenging time. Well, Reverend, as I understand it, you were a young man in that church in New York. Would you like to respond to the suggestion well, you, that you, in, you, you invited know, Now, by the way, stop uh, it. There's a lot of stake. That guy, yeah. whoever's asking the questions there, all night tried to serve up meatballs to this guy. I mean, just uh, one softball after another after another. He tried to defend him. He had he tried to clarify. He went after Kelly Loeffler saying, oh, it sounds like you're saying that the, the president conceded. And she'd go on and say, no, no, I, I think that the, he says, well, so you're saying that the president conceded. Well, it sounds like that way to me. Like, uh, pal, you're supposed to be a journalist asking questions, not an activist sitting there uh, attacking one candidate while you like lick on the other. I mean, all night this guy did this. Go ahead. Right now, uh, in the middle of this pandemic, and it's too bad that she's engaged in the politics of distraction and division. I never met him. I never invited him. He has nothing to do with me. If you want to know who informs me and my sense of how we engage uh, as people uh, in the economic system, uh, you need look no further than Matthew 25. I'm a Matthew 25 Christian. That's what I am. I I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and you visited me. Love your neighbor. And for me, that means you don't get rid of your neighbor's health care, particularly in the middle of a pandemic. Let me just say something here about him. Number one, he's about as radical as they come as I watch this uh, and listen to him speak. Number two, he does the same thing that Joe Biden does. He uses his church when it fits his narrative that he's trying to get across. Just like Joe Biden, unfortunately, uses Bo Biden when it fits his narrative, and he never hear about Hunter Biden. It's always about, unfortunately, Bo Biden and that tragedy that he had to endure. But he uses it, unfortunately, in such a grotesque way. It's like Munchausen syndrome. And the same way that this guy uses his church. Whenever he's confronted with an issue that he clearly doesn't want to address— he diverts to, well, come see me in my church, or, or like you said there, I'm, I'm... So go ahead, G, finish this clip. Go ahead. Look, I'm not going to be lectured by someone that uses the Bible to justify abortion, to attack our men and women in the military. You know, what's happening here is someone who will not own up to their own record of division. He has called on Americans to repent for their worship of whiteness. That's divisive. That's hurtful. He celebrated Jeremiah Wright, anti-Semite. He's actually called Israel an apartheid state. That is wrong for America. And I'm going to continue to make sure Georgians understand that that is him in his own words. Reverend, please respond to the abortion issue in particular. Well, l- listen, I, I have a profound reverence for life <clears throat> and an abiding respect for choice. The question is, whose decision is it? And I happen to think that a patient's room is too small a place for a woman, her doctor, and the U.S. government. I think that's too many people in the room. Uh, But those who are concerned about life, and I certainly am, ought to be focused on the incredibly high rates of infant mortality and maternal mortality in our country uh, when compared to other developed nations. That's something the government could work on. And I've been working on it my entire career. So that sound like an answer to you on where he stands on abortion? <laughs> I think pretty much not. Um, he was he gave the similar he gave similar answers on on other issues. Uh, G, do you have the clips still from last week forty seven or no? 
If you do, try to find 47. That's the one I'm talking about. But while we're doing that, so here's a couple other answers from this guy. Um, packing the courts. He was asked about packing the courts, where he stands on packing the courts, because clearly that's up here in this election on January 5th. Um, they've made no mis- mistake in telling us. Uh, here's his answer on whether he would support packing the courts or all that. Reverend Warnock, if Democrats do win control of the U.S. Senate, there'll be pressure to increase the size of the U.S. Supreme Court. Would you support adding more justices to the Supreme Court to offset President Trump's recent appointments? And do you think there need to be term limits for justices on the bench? I, I want to point out that Kelly Loeffler actually voted to defund the police. I'm sorry. She voted against <laughs> the cops <laughs> program. She was one of only 10 United States senators who did. I don't think we should defund the police, but we certainly do need criminal justice reform. We need to make sure that we have an independent (laughs) review process when civilians die at the hands of police. He asked them about packing Uh, the court. We need to make sure that police and officers and departments that have a pattern of misconduct uh, are held accountable. We can do that and celebrate uh, police uh, at the same time. And as I move all across the state, Greg, people aren't asking me uh, about the courts and whether we should expand the courts. I know that's an interesting question for people inside the Beltway to discuss, but they're wondering when in the world are they going to get some COVID-19 relief? They haven't gotten any from Kelly Leffler in months. And when she had a chance to stand up for ordinary people, she thought $600 was too much. Meanwhile, she was busy dumping millions of dollars of stock profiting from a pandemic. Who does that? But but it will impact people on the ground. So I am wondering if you can answer the question, do you support expanding the Supreme Court? I'm really not focused on it. Um, And I think (laughs) that too often... That's not how crazy The politics in Washington (laughs) has been about the politicians. Uh, I'm a pastor. And so when I think about these issues... Here we go, back to the I think about the people that I've had to stand with uh, in the critical right. care Gee. unit. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was going to blow him up. That, I mean, how, how good, that's, I mean, that's about as... Uh, He's a politician. I guess you've got the Vinyan Motor machines. You don't have to even give an answer anymore. anymore. That's some good avoidance there. Studio 6B on a Monday, 13 till the hour. Getting ready for our COVID-19 vaccines. They're going to be mandatory in the state of New York. <laughs> I heard uh, I heard you can get your COVID vaccine in the, in the Trident gum now. Yeah. Just, just pop it in there. Uh, let's do some good. sports before we wrap it up here. Rick Amirati, what's going on, pal? Okay, Big D, back to the rodeo, Wrangler National Finals. We got team roping round three, Dustin Esquiza and Travis Graves. 4.2 seconds. Round four was Brenton Hall and Chase Tyron. 4.2 seconds, first place. Everybody's winning 26 grand each round. Not bad. It's a three and a half million dollar payout for the whole week in this uh, rodeo. And tie down roping, big D. Round three, Corey Solomon in seven seconds. And in round four, Adam Gray did it in 7.8 seconds. Barrel racing, round three, Lisa Lockhart in 17.9 seconds. And round four, Haley Kinzel, who also won round one. So she's got about 52,000 in her purse in just four days. She did it in 17.9 seconds as well. Um, PGA 
Tour, the Mayakoba Golf Classic this weekend. Big dig. Victor Hovland say, uh, won that with a uh, par on a splendid 40-yard save from a waste area on the 16th hole. And then he delivered the winner with a 12-foot birdie. But on the final hole to beat Aaron Wise with a four-day Shot under 20, uh, totaling 264. So he had a great, great weekend there in uh, beautiful Mayacoba, Mexico. Um, uh, NCAA Finals, number four, Ohio State 52, Michigan State 12. Unbelievable. I wish you, Ryan. Uh, Ryan Day, coach, is going to be back uh, in practice tomorrow. So the uh, Buckeyes are looking good as they head into the playoffs. Quarterback Justin Fields, 17 to 24, 199 yards and two touchdowns. Number five, Texas A&M, 31, Auburn, 20. Number two, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, completely crushed Syracuse, 45-21. Ian Book, the Notre Dame QB, 24-37, 285 yards and three touchdowns. That's not as bad as I would have thought. That's not a cover. They didn't cover 45-21. It was bigger spread than that. Uh, What was the spread, 20 on that? No, way more. It was like 34. (laughs) Okay. The Q's actually gave him a good game early, but uh, Notre Dame took control towards the end there in the third quarter. Number six, Florida, 31 to uh, 19 over Tennessee. The Gators are rolling. Uh, my favorite quarterback in college football right now is Kyle Trask, uh, 35 of 49, 433 yards and four touchdowns. I know Tennessee doesn't have the greatest defense anymore, but I got to tell you, he's looking good, Trask. Um, and uh, number 12, Indiana, 14 uh, uh, over uh, Wisconsin, uh, 14 to 6. Live NFL action, big D, Buffalo Bills lead the San Francisco 49ers 17-7. to Big half, first half for QB Josh Allen for Buffalo Bills, 15-18, 173 yards and two touchdowns. A couple of other uh, NFL finals, LA Rams 38, Arizona 28, Jared Goff 37-47, 351 yards and a touchdown. Our follower Richard Cobb must be smiling as his Rams won. Um, looking good. Green Bay 30-16 over Philly. They're 9-3 now, rolling Aaron. Aaron Rodgers, another super quarterback in the NFL, 25 to 34, 295 yards and three touchdowns. Patriots, 45 nothing over the LA Chargers. Chargers didn't even get off the bus for that game. Uh, <laughs> Devils, Denver, Denver falls to Kansas City, 22 to 16. You know, Paul and I were talking before the show. Kansas City, even when they don't play a good game, they still win. Patrick uh, Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. Who's stopping them? Uh, I'm, there could be somebody because they're that, that offense is. I watched that entire game last night. Not impressed. I don't know, Big D. I, I, I think they're the team to beat. I, think, I don't uh, think they're as explosive as last year. They haven't put up a quarter where they've put up 28 yet. I watched them last night. I don't, I don't you know. Watch, you watch Tyreek drop that easy pass in the breadbasket. Then you get no points out of it. Really, first of all, he, dro- he catches one that he doesn't think he caught. That he, that he goes over to the sideline. They show the replay. He actually caught it. It would have been a touchdown. doesn't even know he caught it. They don't challenge it, so they don't miss there. Then he misses. A, then he has that wide open one. He drops. They don't mm. score there. I uh, mean, they just couldn't make plays all night long against Den. I mean, I know Fangio's a good defensive, uh, but I mean, come on. I yeah. know, but they were dropping balls. Guys, look at like they ran twice. Guys were on top of each other during the same route. They'll get taken out this year. Mark it down. It took like dropping balls. The Steelers dropped a lot of balls tonight. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, I, uh, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, I don't know. I think Kansas City's the lock for the uh, for the AFC this year. I really do. Um, and uh, baseball, a little baseball news. Sad former AL MVP Dick Allen uh, passed away at the age of 78 today. The seven-time Major League Baseball All-Star passed away at his home in Wampum, Pennsylvania, Monday morning. He was 78. Um, uh, Allen, the 1964 National League Rookie of the Year with the Phillies and 72 American League MVP with the White Sox, was one of baseball's 
Bowl's most feared hitters at his peak. During an 11-year run from 1964 to 74, he clubbed 319 home runs in 6,200 uh, 6, plate appearances. So perhaps he'll make the Hall of Fame posthumously. And uh, one more piece of news, Big D, boxing news. Errol Spence defeated Danny Garcia by a unanimous decision to retain his belts. On Saturday night at AT&T Stadium, at least somebody's winning there, in Arlington, uh, Spence has no pro- had no problem against Danny Garcia uh, with the 116-112, 116-112, and 117-111 score from the judges. Spence now improved to 27-0 and 21 knockouts. Really one of the young up and up-and-coming fighters. And that's a wrap in sports. For I, I may have to – I may be banning – Boxing talk on this show, just so you know, Rick, coming up. I haven't made a final final decision yet, but I'm really weighing debating because boxing is getting pathetic. Oh, God. It's just pathetic at this point. What do you think about it? Tyson could actually win the heavyweight title right now. It's it's, it's, it's so pathetic. Yeah, it's so pathetic. (laughs) Now I got to watch Mayweather fight this YouTube star. What is this? I know. This is a joke. It's a what even is that? Now Tyson and Holyfield? I mean, yeah. What what is this sport? What is going? Uh, just I'm very close to saying no boxing reporting on this show. No mas, no mas. Holyfield. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> All right, I'm not leaving story. Rick with just much. Stick here. with UFC. <laughs> I, have a, I have a good sports story. Well, quick, because I have Real a crazy quick. town. A true freshman could make history against the Buckeyes this weekend. Um, oh, here we go. I what? know what this is. Well, go what, ahead. What, 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 it's, uh, I know what you're doing. The Buckeye surrounding the health of both Cade McNamara and Joe Milton, rumors have begun to swirl around true freshman Who? Dan Valeri. Oh, who's that? set to make his first college football start inside the horseshoe against the number three Ohio State Buckeyes. Who's going to make the start? Dan Valeri. Oh, Dan Valeri. Got it's, it. Uh, oh. I coached him. There we go. Valeri. I coached him as a kid. <laughs> Terrific yeah. kid. His nice. father and I like this. Oh, congratulations. So oh, he's starting cool. for Michigan. We hope. hope. We hope. Yeah, they're debating whether Michigan's going to show up. <laughs> That's what I've already heard yeah. from a few. No, I want Crazy shoot. Town. So this is Crazy Town. This is it. This is why I started Crazy Town right here. Fire it up, G. Here we go. <laughs> Yay. Miss Crabtree. Where <laughs> <laughs> the wipe is going? So um, she, makes, she makes the point to tell us about three times that she's a public school teacher. Yeah. So how would you like to um, have your kid in her class? Defund. Hearing that, that clip, seeing that clip. Shaping Homeschooling she just says, went through the roof. She says, bitch, kill yourself to start the video. Just, just, just so we can be, just let's be clear on where we started. That was the starting point. Can we, can and we? then the F-bombs, the middle fingers, and I'm a teacher. I work with kids. I'm not exactly sure why she kept wanting to tell us that, given the way she was acting. But, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine oh pulling God. up to an intersection where people are, whatever they're doing, uh, uh, you know, right to assemble, hello? 
And she and that and she rolls down the window and does that. Oh my god. Um, you talk about unhinged. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about little Johnny's grade on that science project. <laughs> <laughs> then here it comes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You. Yeah. Go die. <laughs> Bitch, go die. Well, that's how it's going to start. We got to start tomorrow with that one. As always, we salute <laughs> our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Chris. Great job on day one. Hope you're back for day two. Uh, thanks, everybody on the show. Of course, thanks to Real America's Voice. Most of all, thank you, the live from Studio 6B audience. We'll see you tomorrow night. Back with you in 22.